pay for some friends. If I'ma spend, I'ma pay for some friends. I'ma pay for some friends. If I'ma spend, I gotta pay for some friends. Let me pay for some friends. If I'ma spend, shot the brains, get friends. I'ma pay them, just get them in. I'ma rap to you like juvenile with that back on. You want a rich nigga to pay your table tab on. When we go shopping, you want me to buy that bag on. You don't like it when I hop out with that mag on. You don't like it when I'm 50 deep with my niggas, huh? That's the only way a nigga can't come get you, huh? I got what you want, I know what you want. Want a rich nigga, come and pull up on your bumper. Want a rich nigga, come and pull up on your bumper. Bump, bump, told her get up out that Honda. Girl, all the rich niggas, girl, all the rich niggas, they want you. Girl, all the rich niggas, girl, all the rich niggas, they want you. What you say? Want her. Yeah. All the rich niggas want her. Want her. Yeah. All the rich niggas want her. Here we go, let's go. Oh. Want her. All the rich niggas want her. Oh, 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 yeah. 
Going eight like Nigo. Move out the way, please don't be a hero. Bling blow, ooh, change on skateboard P. Bling blow, ooh, change on skateboard P. Yeah, going eight like Nigo. Move out the way, please don't be a hero. Bling blow, ooh, change on skateboard. Development program. UNDP works every day in more than 160 countries to fight poverty by providing people with opportunity, rolling back inequalities, and helping countries prepare and protect people from disasters and the effects of climate change. Here's something that definitely surprised me. When UNDP started its work 50 years ago, one in three people worldwide lived in poverty. Now, just one in eight. Now UNDP is on a mission to finish the job, to eradicate poverty once and for all, forever everywhere. I don't know about you, but I think that's something we can all get behind. Go to UNDP.org, donate today, and make UNDP part of your holiday giving. UNDP.org. Our universe is filled with secrets and mysteries, leaving us with many questions to be answered. We find ourselves searching for those answers as the very fabric of space, science, and society are converging. Here for the first time, these worlds collide. Oh, what you? What are you saying? All you trekkies and TV addicts, don't mean to bring static. All you Klingons in your grandma's house, grab your back street friend to get loud. Star Talk Radio. I'm your host, astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson. And we are here in studio in New York City. I got a co host here. Chuck. Hey. <laughs> sorry, you're not, just, you're not just a co-host. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. sorry. I appreciate that, Neil. Good. I, I kind of think of myself as your favorite co-host. <laughs> Keep telling yourself that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, what do we do on Star Talk? I always have a comedic co-host, and we talk about the universe and all the ways that it impacts your life. And with folks like Chuck in the room, you're probably going to smi- at least smile. And if you're not rib split by the end, uh, we're switching them out next time. Yes, exactly. <laughs> If, if you haven't peed your pants, I get fired, basically, and I will commit Harry Carey. So, uh, so today we have one of our uh, Star Talk After Hours sessions. Yeah, uh, it's Cosmic Queries, and we're going to spend this whole session just with you culling questions drawn from the internet. That's correct. And all of our internet presence, which is wide and varied, we got Twitter and Facebook and Google Plus. So we, we get the stuff is where it needs to be. That's right. And we found the ones related to the intersection. The collision, the blending of art and science. Yes. And Two great tastes that taste great together. <laughs> They're like the Reese's Cup of the Universe. Art and science. <laughs> you got science in my art. You got, got art in my science. <laughs> 
I remember that stupid commercial. <laughs> so I happen to like Reese's Cups, but mm-hmm. but I'm one of the last people not allergic to peanut butter, right? Who's left? It's so funny that it's true. I never it, back in I, our day. I remember growing up, nobody was allergic to anything. Anything. Okay. Right. Now I have a son. He's allergic to peanuts, and to the point, Neil, that I'm such an idiot that I didn't believe the doctors who told me that my son was allergic to peanuts because I forgot that there's another genetic code that he shares, not just my strong stock. I mean, you didn't just birth him out of your rib like, like an amoeba, right? <laughs> exactly. Just, but anyway. Amoeba walks around and says, hey, I want, I want another one of myself. Right. So, of course, you know what I did? I took a little piece of, little teeny bit of peanut butter. You experimented on I your son. I experimented. I was like, yeah, I bet you this kid isn't all that. He's my kid. Yeah, he's, he's not my kid. He's, he's not a wimp. Right. So I took a little peanut butter, I put the tip on my finger, I put it in his mouth, and my son went into anaphylactic shock. <laughs> I'm not joking either. I almost killed my son. So that's but, the, but it was for the sake of science. It was for the sake of science. <laughs> son, you did not die in vain. <laughs> So what do you got for me? Oh, man, let's get right into this. All right. Uh, coming from uh, Google Plus, this is Marcos D831. <laughs> Marcos D8, this is code name, That's apparently. his code name. All know. right. What, so uh, what do you think of computer-generated art? Examples, genetic algorithm-based images, music, etc. Yeah, I, I'm cool with it. Yeah? Really, really. In fact, when it first came out, it was striking, you know, because it was different. And it had a different kind of sound. But personally, mm-hmm. I think that the computer doesn't yet know how to feel emotion. Yet. And what is art without, without emotion? emotion? That's my line. May I say that cleanly, please? I'm sorry. What is art? Without emotion. Okay, now you can butt in. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I mean, think about it. You know, I love me some Escher, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the first MC. <laughs> M.C. Escher. M.C. Escher? Yeah. I don't even think I'm familiar with M.C. Escher. <laughs> you didn't hear him at the club the other night? Yeah. <laughs> so so the artist M.C. Escher, his drawings are like perfect illustrations of geometric forms, basically. Okay. And so they're fun to look at. They're fun to get lost in. But at the end of the day, you don't take emotional ownership of it. Right. And I think the greatest art allows you to walk up to it and say, that means something to me, regardless of what the artist thought or felt. Mm-hmm. And then it's a communion between you and the creative energies of the artist. If it's a computer just punching out notes right. according to some algorithm, I, I don't know that it can reach those same heights. But now, with- so, so maybe we need a computer <laughs> that like, can cop an attitude. That's what I was and then it, it, it composes music while it's under uh, disturbed mental states. You need a computer that can have a broken heart. That's uh, <laughs> You need a computer to get dumped by a girl. Excuse me. Don't you know that all computers that announce the end of the world are female? Well, wouldn't they, though? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> there is two minutes left before it's self-destruction. That's true. Yeah. It's not like, yo, get the hell out of there. What they should have is a brother, a real brother. Just like, yo, man, you're going to die. <laughs> man, get the hell out of here. What's your problem? <laughs> Are you 
crazy? You still here? <laughs> <laughs> that'll that'll work. That'll, that'll, work. that'll be the, bro- the the brother computer. Right? The brother computer. <laughs> oh damn, man, you did. Okay. So I think for if a computer were to compose the blues, it would need to know sadness, right? And I'd simp- I I just don't know how that. Maybe that they will come. That you can program that in. But right now, no. So yes, I, I I'm happy to call it art, but it's not the highest levels of art that members of our own species have achieved. So computers can make art. It's just art that sucks. Yeah, okay. Exactly. I'll, I'll accept that. I'll accept that. <laughs> All right. What else okay, you got? Let's move on. Oh, by the way, these lo- there's like uh, StarTalkRadio.net and we tweet at StarTalkRadio mm-hmm. and so uh, our website, our uh, Facebook, just just find us. We're Star Talk Radio. Mm-hmm. It'd be easy to find. Absolutely. Okay, what else you got? Sounds good, man. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> this is from uh, Nathan uh, Giardina, which is uh, what, if any, influence... That means it, Little Garden, I yeah, bet. Yeah, I think it's Giardina. Giardina. Mm-hmm. So uh, what, if any, influence did art have on your personal desire to be an astrophysicist? What are your favorite current artists that explore science in their art? Ooh. So those are two, you know. Yeah, those are two questions. I mean, we're, uh, we're short on time this segment. Let me take the first one, which okay. was... Uh, what, if any, influence did art have on your personal desire to be an astrophysicist? That, it had no effect on my desire to be an astrophysicist, but it enhances my capacity to appreciate all the splendor and beauty of the images that derive from it. Wow. If you look at the portfolio of images from the Hubble telescope, Mm-hmm. I mean, if you you feel it all the way, and I look at that, those images not solely as a scientist, but as one who is not an artist myself, but one who appreciates the art of the cosmos. We'll come back in just a moment to Star Talk Radio. The theme: art and science. Is it a collision or is it a blend? See you in a moment. thinking, when in the world do I have time to do that? Well, with more than 125 graduate and undergraduate degrees and certificate programs, Penn State World Campus allows you to earn your Penn State degree online from anywhere in the world. Penn State World Campus's convenient, flexible online format is a great option if you're a busy working adult, if you want to advance your career, or if you just want to start fresh in a new field or simply set your own pace to earn your degree. Plus, U.S. News & World Report ranks Penn State World Campus number one for online bachelor's degrees and in the top 10 online graduate programs for business, education, engineering, and technology. So to see if Penn State World Campus is a best fit for you, call their team of admissions counselors who are standing by at 800-245-5518 or learn how Penn State World Campus can help you reach your educational goals by visiting worldcampus.psu.edu. Again, that's worldcampus.psu.edu Penn State World Campus a world of possibilities online bringing space and science down to earth you're listening to Star Talk
to Star Talk Radio. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. And I'm your personal astrophysicist. Mm. By night. But by day, I serve as the director <laughs> of the Hayden Planetarium here in New York City, which is a part of the American Museum of Natural History. Known to some of you for its dinosaur bones, but we also present the universe. And I got in the studio, Chuck Nice. I'm your private dancer by night. <laughs> no, not, no, not, don't, you're telling me that? No. So, Chuck, so, uh, Chuck, you tweet. Yes, I do. Twitter dude. Uh, a Chuck Nice comic. At Chuck Nice comic. Yeah, That's nice, correct. nice, nice. And I'd like the daily dose, you know, of just humorous observations of the natural world. Yes. That you provide. Yes, sometimes humorous, sometimes disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I want you to bring some of that to this. We've, you're reading questions that we have called from our various portals on the internet, the various Star Talk radio portals, and the theme is art and science. That's right. The merging, the cross-pollination, the collision, what is it? And, I'm, uh, and I think a lot about this topic, and I was overjoyed when my producers told me that we were going to spend some time on this. Cool. And I haven't seen these questions in advance, because they're your choices that That's came right. out, of the, out of the compilation. And before the break, there was a two-part question, and what was the second part to that? And remind well, me who asked it. Uh, Nathan Giardina, who uh, says... Giardina. Giardina, who says, uh, what are your favorite current artists that explore science through their art? Great question. Now, I don't claim artists, I don't claim to be name fluent among artists, mm -hmm. but I can just tell you the kinds of art that I've enjoyed. For example, the big uh, public sculptures that appear in front of buildings, you know, many mm -hmm. cities have a budget for that. Right. Those that tap the sky for their themes, I love them. Gotcha. I love they they want to invent a new kind of sundial or they they're sort of constellation patterns in New York City for example in front of the Time Life building on 6th Avenue across the street from give me a second Time Life building 6th Avenue across the street from 30 Rock from 30 Rock yes. oh he's nice he yes. knows his geography look at that his urban geography uh -huh. uh, there's a huge sculpture in front of that building and it's a big triangle Yes, it is. It's a triangle. That's and people correct. eat hamburgers under that and have no clue what it is. It is a sun triangle. Do you know that on the first day of the principal seasonal points of the calendar, at 12 noon, the sun aligns with each of, with each of those legs of the triangle? I did not. So the, the more vertical leg of the triangle, mm -hmm. on June 21st, first day of summer, right. 12 noon, sun time, it lines up with that leg. On the shallowest leg, it lines up there on December, December 21st. 21st. Right. On the middle leg, it lines up both on March 21st and September 21st. It is a sun tracking device. And, and people just lose... It's pretty brilliant. I love it. I love it. And forgive me for not remembering that fellow's name. Right. But sculptors, that's their artists, of course, who of course. who are inspired by the universe. I love them. I love it when when writers, that's a form of art, they think to cast a scientist as one of their characters instead of the cop, the lawyer, the doctor, whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because there's other themes they can draw upon. Well, a lot of, yeah. I'm still waiting for the sitcom where there's a woman who's an entomologist who studies bugs, and she falls in love with an exterminator. That's 
that's funny. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so these are untapped themes, and I want I want science to show up in the everyday storytelling of novelists and poets and and all the people who who are responsible for bringing culture and the joys and the and the pains of culture into our daily lives. And do you know what the number one sitcom today is? I just learned this. I, I would I would guess since you're asking, yes, that it would be um, taking too long. I'm going to go with Laverne and Shirley <laughs> <laughs> in reruns. Yeah, that's the number one. <laughs> no, of course it's no, the Big Bang Theory. The Big Bang, of yeah. course, of course. CBS is Big Bang. Yeah, and so no, it's not high art, but it's art. They're clever writers. Clever. They've got a, a good science advisor, and it's a science advisor being brought into the community of writers who are artists in their own right, right. helping to tell very fun stories about how uh, they're caricatures, of course, but they're they're fun caricatures about uh, what it's like to just hang out with people who are scientifically fluent, right. scientifically literate, and so I like the writers who do this. I like the sculptors who do it. I like the anybody. Who who has taken themes of the universe and blended it in with their art. You know what I'm less impressed by? People who look at a Hubble photo and say, I'm going to paint that. Okay. I don't need you to paint. I got the Hubble photo. Right, I already have the photo. I got the photo. However, Take me to a new place. But would you not say that uh, it's possible to take you to that new place by giving you an interpretation of what they see when they look at that photo? Yeah, but the interpretations are just sort of color variants on what it is. Here's what you do. Take me to a vista that's inside the cloud looking back out. Take okay. me to the surface of. To, to take me to. Okay, then I'll ask you this: What do you think take about? Me to Jam- Pl- what do you think Pluto. about James Cameron's uh, uh, Avatar, the movie? Now there was a. He took us to a different world. There you go. And uh, as they know, say in Texas, there, there you go. go. Uh, you know, he's so we had different vegetation. We had different animal life. We had different. You know, he was completely informed by the vegetation on Earth and by planets in orbit around stars, and he had this background foundation of scientific information and he said now I want to take it to another place. Now when you say literally and figuratively when you say he was informed by vegetation on earth do you mean that he was smoking weed when he came up with that stuff? (laughs) Precisely. No because uh, (laughs) on earth we have you know uh, plants and animals that have bioluminescence right well he took that to an extreme on that but that was cool he thought about it okay he didn't just he didn't just invent that out of out of the ether for everything he showed there's some kind of physical, intellectual, artistic link back to what's go, what goes on here on Earth, except for the unobtainium. Unobtainium. <laughs> the stuff that made the clouds right. float. That he, he pulled that one out of where the sun don't shine. Nice. But everything else, sure. And, and nine foot tall blue people, I'm okay with that. That's kind of cool. Except they had the USB ponytail. You know, that one, where they, they just plug it in wherever they wherever are. Wherever they want. Yes, yes. <laughs> I know Captain Kirk would have done very well on that planet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he's, he he gets his stuff wherever it is. That's right. He's got it. All right, let's move on to a Facebook. Wait, wait, question. just that would I'm be sorry. Captain Kirk of the original Star Trek, uh, the original Star Trek television series. Right. For those who were born after 1969. Oh, that's right. true. Yeah, okay. that's right. I forget. There's a lot of people who may not know about the yeah. original Star Trek, or they know the later ones, and yeah. the fact that the captain of the Star Trek, of, of the USS Enterprise was a poon hound. <laughs> Intergalactic. Exactly. <laughs> All right. All right. What else you got? Here we go. Uh, Facebook, and this is uh, Heather Redding. Uh, math, math, wow, math foil, math, math, uh, 
Mefoli. That's it. Heather M. Okay. Heather M. Here you go, Heather. <laughs> what is your scientific reaction to Starry Night? Love it, or does it make your eyes burn? Do you mean Starry Night as painted by Vincent Van, Van, Van Gogh? Van Gogh. Van Gogh's okay. Starry Night. Uh, that is the Starry Night, painted in 1888 mm-hmm. by Vincent Van Gogh, and it is one of my favorite works of art of all time. Really? Yes. In fact, I have an oil reproduction of it in my office. Nice. It's actually the original, but don't tell anybody. Okay. <laughs> right okay. now, there. Right now, Keep there are there are a ton of people breaking into Neil's office right now. <laughs> actually, if you look at online on YouTube and type "Cosmic Office," there's a tour of my office, and it's it's in the background. I don't actually point to it or mention it, but it's there. It's there. So I have it there. It was the co- I chose it as the cover of my second book. That title of that book was "Universe Down to Earth." Gotcha. And so, no, it does not make my eyes bleed. It would if I were a scientific purist, not allowing anybody to interpret anything. But in there, no, the, the moon is weird. All right, and the moon doesn't look that sickle shaped. No, and stars are not like that vibrato. Right. No, and they're not that bright. No, all right, I, I'm with you on that. However, I, I will allow that to be how the sky made him feel. Ah, so you're looking at this more as a representation of emotion exactly. than an actual depiction of the sky and or the cosmos. I think it was, uh, we only got a couple of seconds left here, I think it was the first picture work of art ever to be named for that which was in the background, not the foreground. Hmm. The foreground, there's a, there's a cypress bush, there's a village, there's a church steeple. He didn't call it Sleepy Village. Right. He didn't call it Cypress Tree. He didn't call it Church Steeple. He called it Starry Night. The stuff in the backdrop that framed the village is the name and the subject of that painting. There you go, background dancers. Vincent we're, Van Gogh is your man. We're coming back to Star Talk Radio. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. Starry, starry night Flaming flowers that brightly Tell the truth, wouldn't it be great to be able to cook a gourmet meal? I mean, something truly delicious for about $10 per person. Wouldn't it be wonderful when your pretentious friends are standing around at the cocktail party trading recipes and telling you how great their last meal was that they made at home? Wouldn't it be nice if you could join in? Tell the truth. You'd like to join in. Wouldn't it be great if you could make those same friends jealous by posting your own incredible gourmet meals on Instagram? Yeah, be jealous. That's my meal. And I made it. Well, all those things are possible with Blue Apron. Blue Apron takes fresh, high-quality ingredients that taste better and are better for you, pre-portions them, and then sends them direct to your door so that you can just follow some simple directions and make a delicious gourmet meal like roasted pork and braised cabbage with barley and glazed apples. Oh, yeah. How about Thai green coconut curry with sweet potato and jasmine rice? 
Oh, now you're talking to me, baby. All you have to do is check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash startalk. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash startalk. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. This is Star Talk. This is Star Talk Radio, and we're back. This is the Cosmic Queries part of our show. I like to think of it as Star Talk After Hours. <laughs> Chuck, nice. I got you in studio. Thanks yes. for being here. Always a pleasure. And you're helping us go through some questions that it's, it's viewer mail. No, listener mail. Listener yes. mail. It's all about the the collision between art and science. And we ran out of time in that last segment, but I was on a roll. You were starry night. Uh, oh, man. Obsessed there, man. In a, in, a, in a good way. But that brings up a question for me personally. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I heard that Vincent Van Gogh actually created more than one Starry Night. Yes, he did. And and just before the break, I was describing the most famous of them, which is in the collection of the Museum of Modern Art in New York City on West 53rd Street. Correct. Uh, by the way, just a couple of blocks from the Sun Triangle we, descri- right. we described earlier in our conversation. But uh, yes, he actually has other paintings. He has many paintings that were of the night or in twilight that showed moon crescents and stars and this sort of thing. Another, He had two other Starry Night paintings. One of them was at a at a cafe. And it's a cafe scene, and you see it's a narrow one of these narrow European streets. Mm-hmm. And there's a little cafe, and you look down the street, and there's a sky that reveals itself flanked by the silhouette of buildings to its left and right. right. And that is a kind of a, a funky looking version of well, what it looks it is a it is a recognizable constellation. That's my point. Wow. And so that unlike the famous Starry Night, where nothing matches anything, he has a real constellation there. And there's another one where he's on the water's edge, and you see a river. I forgot which river it is. But there you see, in fact, the Big Dipper. Not exactly a mapping of the real Big Dipper, but again, closer. A representation. A representation of the Big Dipper. So those are a little closer to a reality than the original one that's most famous. And of course, who's the artist who composed the song Starry Night? Starry, Starry. Nice. <laughs> What's the guy? The McLean? Uh, the, yes. Uh, I always confused him with the pitcher for the Detroit Tigers in 1967. Dennis McLean? <laughs> no, I don't know Dennis McLean. <laughs> I, I get him mixed up. Forgive me. Um, I'm not doing this from notes. Uh, but anyway, so he, he was compelled to compose an entire song based on artwork, based on the universe. That's wow. awesome. And so th- talk about a collision, intersection, cross-pollination. You can't get more uh, incestuous than that. No, you can't. I mean, yeah. serious. I, I had no idea. It's Don, Don McLean. Don, right? Thank you, Don McLean. Of I, course. I, uh, I had no idea that... Uh, Starry Night was that far-reaching in its influences. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was on a tour of the Museum of Modern Art, and they didn't know it was me, like because that I'm an astro dude. And right. they said, "Oh, here's one he painted, and here's the location, and here's the period." On to the next painting. It's like, no, no, excuse me. <laughs> get get your ass back here in front of this painting because I got more. Just 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 let me tell you. Let me school you on Starry Night when you just hate to be the 
big tour guide that gets Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> and this is Starry Night. Let's move on. You know, by the way, I'm an idiot. <laughs> uh, right, what else she got? All right, here we go. Uh, this is from uh, Don uh, Cancio. Mm-hmm. And I would definitely like to hear Neil's thoughts on the golden ratio and the role of mathematics in aesthetics in general. Thanks. Oh, that's an awesome question. Oh, my gosh. Right. So it has been suggested since antiquity that certain proportions are pleasing to the eye. Right. No matter what your upbringing is, perhaps no, no matter even, uh, no matter your upbringing within a culture and perhaps no matter even what culture you derive from. And one of them is the golden, golden ratio. ratio. Yeah. And I think it's one one plus the square root of five over two. So some, uh, I'll, I'll look it up over the break. Um, but I don't carry it in my head. But what what it does is it tells you how wide something should be for how tall it is. Right. And uh, that's why certain paintings, certain pictures in their frame, just feel a little awkward. Mm-hmm. They don't feel pleasing, and you can't even put your finger on it. It's kind of an emotional uh, force operating on you, and into uh, a a hidden intellectual force that's telling you. I like this picture better than that. And you might not even know why. I, I know why, because I'm looking at porn at that point. <laughs> For me personally, I'm just saying. So you have other ratios that apply to porn. <laughs> there's, there's the porn <laughs> ratio. <laughs> we got to check out that one. Oh, one, my one. God. <laughs> Where my mind just went. Go ahead. So uh, I like geometry. Uh, geometry, uh, in fact, literally means earth measurement. Uh, oh. Geometry. Geometric. And uh, it was applied to measuring... Uh, distances and and uh, um, uh, uh, along Earth's surface, and Earth is curved. So you get some some interesting mathematical discussions when you bring mathematics to bear on on Earth measurement. Mm-hmm. But um, math, I think, is overvalued as a force in art okay. because in math there is no room for emotion. True. That just isn't. And so the question is, is there something that's mathematically pure that is also emotionally... Uh, rich or satisfying. And by the way, people have been thinking about this since forever. And it started with the music of the spheres. They saw planets in orbit around the sun. Well, that's a there's a rhythm to that and the different orbits of different times. Is there a ratio of those that means something mathematically that w- w- for, out of which you can make music? Hmm. And it was imagined that music, you can make awesome music from the universe. And for all all the music I've heard that came from the universe, it's not. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we got to take a break. We'll be back with Star Talk Cosmic Queries. I could paint you cold to show your mortal. Would that make you honest? Would it make you sincere? Unlocking the secrets of your world. This is Star Talk. Star Talk. We're back on Star Talk Radio. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your resident astrophysicist, and I'm with Chuck Nice. Yes, Chuck Nice comic. 
At Chuck Nice Comic on Twitter, please. Your Twitter handle. That's my Twitter handle. Get a handle on Chuck <laughs> Nice Comic. Uh, we left off with a question about the role of geometry and geometric shapes and forms right. as informing art, because you get geometry from math. So that's math, math informing, informing art. art. And I think a lot of it is overrated in its role. Uh, there's that golden ratio. We looked it up over the break. It is one plus square root of five over two. So the right. ratio is one to that. Right. Right. And the ratio of one to that, if you did the math, it's about one to one point six. So something would be of height one would be one point six wide. Right. Very pleasing. And that becomes a, a soothing, pleasing a soothing. visual f- effect for some reason. <laughs> Even though you're looking at a block of c- cement. <laughs> exactly. It's but it's elegant but cement. It's an elegant block of cement. Yeah. So now what about um, my man Leonardo da Vinci uh-huh. and the Vitruvian man? Oh, the dude inside the circle. The dude inside the circle and his arms and you know what? Yeah, is- yeah. That was really wishful thinking because he's because once again he was imagining that. By the way, there's sort of uh, spiritual religious implications here that human being is in a, is a pinnacle of God's creation and right, that right. and if math is perfect and we are of God, then we ought to be perfect at some level as well. If okay. not our behavior, certainly our biological form. And so he imagined that the perfect human would have these proportions. And you put the guy inside the circle, and the center of the circle would exactly line up with the belly button. Mm-hmm. And the arms would then reach out and extend to the edges of the circle. Now, it's true for most people, your reach is approximately equal to your height. Okay. But are you going to say that that is most pleasing? Because that is not true for most people in the NBA, and they're very highly paid people. I happen to have very long arms compared with my height. In fact, they're a foot longer than my height. Really? Yeah, which means I can punch you out. So your wingspan is a foot longer than it, it, your it's, height? It's a foot, there's 84 inch, uh, 84 inch wingspan. And I'm, oh, you'd have been a great boxer. So, so it's 10 inches longer. I'm uh, 6'2", and my uh, wingspan is 84 inches. So it's 10 inches longer. Wow. Yeah, uh, 74 inches to 84 inches. Yeah, I, or I could hold your head while you swing under my <laughs> arm, you know, never reaching me. <laughs> um, yeah, the classic, yeah, just give that one up. Go right. home right after that. So I think, uh, plus there are these metrics of beauty that people had uh, presumed and established. The, the measures of Western beauty. You know, what is the width of the cheekbone to the height of the face and right. the nose to the mouth? Yes, you can measure anything. And you can say that certain measurements repeat. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make them important geometric forms. It's just a, a geometric form that applies to that, uh, to that standard of beauty. Right? And so right. I, I'm not prepared to go and say, let's go look at geometric math to derive what is beautiful. What people are doing is finding who everybody says is beautiful, measuring and that. applying the geometry to that. Yeah, no, no. Then they measure it and say, here are the beautiful numbers. Right. I, I don't, okay, I'm fine with that. But what I find interesting, it has been said that the most intriguing characters are not the ones who are most symmetric, but the ones that have a slight, slight imperfection. Slight imperfection. Yeah, like Meryl Streep. Yeah, or, uh, or Marilyn Monroe with the mole on with one the side. Mole on one side. Yeah, and Harrison Ford, who was clearly the standout in the uh, Star Wars series. Mm-hmm. His face is not symmetric. He has like a scar on one side of his face compared to the other. I have a scar on one side of my face, but n- no one says that beautiful. <laughs> it applies to actors and not anybody else. So so you can measure this stuff. But in the end, I, I don't know that that's how I want to decide who's beautiful. I'd rather really just take a look. <laughs> well, what do, you, what do you think about uh, ratios when it comes to uh, size and weight ratios? Like, for instance, uh, certain, it's been, I don't know if it's proven, but asserted that certain hip 
to waste ratios, say fertility and causes a certain kind of desire in a man when he looks at a woman, breast to waist to butt ratio. It's all a that. family show. Yeah. Actually, it's not. But go on. <laughs> but I mean, you know, so. Did uh, you say breast to butt ratio? That's the first of those I've heard. What can I say? That's just me personally. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, uh, well, we got to check the check the journals on that one. <laughs> there, there may be no empirical medical evidence whatsoever about that one, but okay, you know. consider this: that any two numbers, any two measurements has a ratio. Okay, that's true. <laughs> and although I look through time and I see the depictions of women in art, them ratios are all over the place. You know, you're right. All right, so you know we don't have a lot of time left. Why don't we enter our lightning round? Oh, we don't. Oh, there's a lot left is what you're saying. Yeah, I got a I, lot left. I haven't seen these. You, you picked them. You found them. Yes. So there's quite a few questions left, so we're going to kind of breeze through them. Okay. Here. No. So I'll, this is the lightning round, yep. and I will sound bite the answers, get through as many as we can. As many as we can. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is from Lee off of Facebook. Lee asks, are we born scientists and become artists or vice versa? Which comes first, chicken or the egg? Well, first of all, I have the answer to which came first, chicken or the egg. It's the egg. <laughs> 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 laid by a bird that was not a chicken. Whoa. That okay. is the answer to that question. Dad, gone. Got it. Okay. Second. <laughs> so you thought you were slick slipping that in there. I did. But okay. It was good. Uh, personally, I could be biased, but I think all kids are born scientists and learn to do and appreciate art. Because what does a scientist do? They turn over rocks and pluck petals off of roses and mm-hmm. jump two feet into petals. And each of these is an experiment on the physical laws that operate around them. They do that without being told. But what happens when they get into the classroom, then they're said, well, here's the pasta and here's the glue. You're making a pasta collage, right? So the art projects are kind of installed there, but you send them out into the yard when they're not running and chasing each other, they're actually exploring nature. Right. So my opinion, based on my observation of children and just the human species, is that we're actually born artists, but we're, I'm sorry, we're born scientists, and then adults beat it out of them later. <laughs> and then and then we're taught how to then be creative. Right. So, okay. yeah. yeah what a, mm-hmm. All right, moving along. Here we go. Do, I'm sorry. That was, I can do it faster than that. That okay. I dragged on there. Go. Do Let you me think artistic ability could ever be learned or created through artificial intelligence? So can a computer learn to be an artist, a true artist? I think that what it will have to do is be good enough to fool an expert, whether or not it has the right motive, the same motivations that an artist does. So I think the answer is yes. Okay. What are your thoughts on sacred geometry? Is there any art or design, this is from Randy Huff, that does give healing properties? So there's the real caveat there. Uh, if you see some form or geometry that heals you, that surely lives in the realm of the placebo. It is an effect that we still don't understand, a medicinal effect where if, if you're given a pill that has no had no, no medi- medical effects on you, but we tell you that it does, and you then get healed, there's some percentage of people get healed. It is a not well understood phenomenon. If it is your God who you appeal to, or your belief in the power of the doctor, or whatever it is, and it works, it's the placebo. Gotcha. There you go. Okay. What else? So, I just, I, 
before. Well, I love to say that. placebo. Placebo. Well, those are the cool words and that is like word. polka dot. And, <laughs> all right, go on. All right, here we go. Uh, this is from Barney Atkinson, and I just have to get to this question: If art influences science, how come the International Space Station is so ugly? <laughs> It's because art does. Uh, it's because art does not influence science. If you're like me, you're probably wondering: Should I inject bleach into my eyeballs with a needle? Well, that's an excellent question. I'm so glad you asked. Statistics show that no, no, you should not inject bleach into your eyeball with a needle. Paid for by the committee to stop injecting bleach into the eyeballs with needles. The Ministry of Lava manages our national lava resources to ensure that we will always have a steady supply of lava to operate the nation's active volcanoes, which in turn power our cities and methamphetamine labs. As a matter of national security, we need to reduce our dependence on foreign lava, which means an expansion of domestic lava drilling. As your chancellor, I will build lava wells all over the country, as well as secure access to more lava fields by invading Hawaii. Imagine orange gold spurting out from school playgrounds on the Great Plains and illuminating the Nebraska sky like fireworks on the 4th of July. Magma oozing over the rolling hills of Kentucky. Volcanic ash settling gently over homes in New England like fresh gray snow. If you want global lava markets to continue to be dominated by terriblest regimes like Iceland, Chile, and the Philippines, vote for my opponent, who sits in their back pocket as comfortably as Pahoehoe on the slopes of Kilauea. If you want the United States to stay competitive in the era of peak lava and beyond, then take a chance on the Chancellor. Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Well, shoot. From time to time, I've given it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! Four ninety nine. 
We are Unleash the Rain, and we're coming to you streaming live every Tuesday from 4 to 6 p.m. here at MutinyRadio.fm in the Mission in San Francisco. Because we need more rain in San Francisco. Yes, we're still in a drought here in California, but this is a business show, you silly man. Uh, I was hoping for a rain dance. Well, why, that would be a lot of fun, and we do have a lot of fun on the show. What we do is we help small and medium-sized businesses leverage technology to increase revenue and reduce expenses and make it rain for your business. Are you sure it's going to be fun if I listen? We are very fun. We're also real world. We are not messing around. We're going to give you the real deal. Cool. So I can send an email to Vincent at Unleash the Rain or Stacy at Unleash the Rain and ask my business question or my yes, technology question? absolutely. Ask us your business and technology questions. We would love to answer those on the air. And then listen to our podcast or listen to us live on and, Tuesdays. And also six. check us out on Facebook at Unleash the Rain. Well, hey there, San Francisco. If you're looking for some delicious late-night food, I suggest you mosey on down to Bender's Bar. Inside, you can find counter-offer, offering you amazing late-night food and snacks. Try the chicken biscuit. It's like your stomach's in a tasty tornado. They have exceptionally great daily ground sustainable burgers with sides of tater tots, grilled asparagus, and delicious zucchini, and creamy-licious mac and cheese. You like tacos? They got them! And from the specials, very deep fried fish sandwich to a stoner burger with a donut bun. What are those crazy potheads gonna come up with next? Go to the counter offer inside of Brenda's Bar at 800 South Van Ness Avenue, San Francisco. It's located between 19th Street and 20th Street in the Mission District. Open seven nights a week from 5 to 10 p.m. or later. Counter offer, son! The dictionary definition of the adjective eclectic is selecting or choosing from various sources. When Bay Area musician J.D. Buell brings you Morning Train Wednesday, 10 a.m. to noon on Mutiny Radio, that is exactly what he does. Select music from various sources to give you a unique listening experience. Rock, pop, jazz, bluegrass, gospel, funk, reggae, folk, blues, country and western, electronica, soul, disco, rhythm and blues, punk and post-punk come together with music from around the world with Buell's passionate and down-to-earth delivery. In an age of personal music delivery systems, J.D. Buell carries on the values of progressive FM radio when a listener could actually have a relationship with a programmer, someone who would create an eclectic musical environment wherein both listener and host find fulfillment. The Morning Train with J.D. Buell, Wednesday, 10 to noon on MutinyRadio.fm. Freeform Radio for free minds.
This is the story of three strangers hosting an open mic. When comics stop being polite and start getting real. This is the Sick Sad Open Mic. Every Tuesday from 8 to 10 p.m. and every fourth Tuesday as our Sick Sad Showcase. Brought to you by Adrian Villalone, Valerie Vernali, and Katie Carnes. See you there, angsties. Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's Underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. (laughs) Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutinyradio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> I know we all thought that they couldn't, but here's the thing, right? I just want people, all I care about now is people sticking to their beliefs. If you believe something, go fuck it all the way, right? Don't half-ass it. That's why I think if they want to try to prevent Muslims, they want less Muslims in the country, fine. Have the Muslim ban, but you have to allow Muslim women to get abortions. Like, that's just, no one's talking about the Muslims coming in vaginally. Like, that. Like you wanted me, calling me all the time. That Bondi, check out my Chrissy behind it's fine all the time. What else is in the teachers of peaches? Like sex on the beaches. Uh, what? Huh? Right? What?
on? Am I on? Oh, there yeah. we go. Yeah, it was turned off also earlier. So I had to turn it on, which I remember from last, last time. Week. So we know all the quirks of whoever fucks with the studio before we get here. Stab. Just just stab. <laughs> just just stab. Just let us handle it. <laughs> hey, we should put a new new sound. We sure should. We are the sounds from the street people. Usually when I listen to the podcast, it's pretty the ones that I do choose to listen to are pretty, you know, straight. I mean, there's nothing technically it sounds perfect to me. Ooh. <laughs> that could technically. Be, that could be technically. That could be because I'm listening to it myself. And you get turned <laughs> or to, on. Or to us, yeah. <laughs> but um, we haven't had an issue where we've had to upload it. Yeah, that's true. So that's the one good thing. And I, I checked it yesterday. <sighs> Every podcast that we've done since September of 2014 is on one link, and then I have to find, I should find the other one that has, like, the really old ones. Oh, wow. From, like, back in the day. We should 2012 and shit. Oh, yes. we got to find that one. one Party like day. it's 2012. <laughs> Wasn't that long ago. But, um... And party we did. <laughs> every night, man. Always out there. Always out on the prowl. We've had some some good um, some good times, some bad times, some mediocre times, some meh times, some meh, <coughs> meh. But anyways, we're going to be having a guest later this evening. I almost said afternoon because the sun is <sighs> still shining. Sun is shining strong. Uh, Shot in the Dark will be here, and they're local to the area, and they're going to do an acoustic performance for us, so that should be exciting. And let's see, the new story I had was uh, Prince, who, as everybody knows by now, he uh, was found in his elevator at Paisley Park last week, and um, just some new information has come out about what they're doing to move forward with his music and his um, his estate and um, the money that he has because um, technically he wasn't he wasn't married and he didn't have any um, I guess legal heirs if you want to put it in layman's terms so um, they found his musical vault <laughs> which was literally like behind a closed door so. This should be an interesting story. The vault at Prince's Paisley Park home, thought to contain at least 100 albums worth of unreleased material, has been drilled open. The bank-style vault is said to have been a large room under the property containing shelves of Prince's music, so much that ABC reports that Prince's estate could put out an album a year for the coming century. One day, someone will release them. I don't know that I'll get to release them, Prince told the view of his vault back in 2012. Mm -hmm. There's just so many. The Bremer Trust have temporary authority over Prince's estate. He left no will, and it's not clear if or when the release of the music is likely to happen. Susan Rogers, Prince's former engineer, said in the report, we could put out more work in a month than most people could in a year or more. The cause of Prince's death on April 21st, meanwhile, is now the subject of a criminal investigation regarding a possible drug overdose. The development is the result of prescription drugs being found at the time of the musician's death. 
the Associated Press reports that an unnamed law enforcement official confirmed on Thursday that investigations were underway. The same individual also confirmed previous reports that Prince was found unconscious on a plane just a few days before his death. So that's kind of interesting. Um, no. I'm sure we'll be able to hear some of that music. Oh, yeah, for sure. In the future. And they've done that for other artists, too, I think. Uh, yeah, David Bowie's supposed to be releasing some uh, stuff mm-hmm. post, what do you call it, post-mortem? Yeah. Post-famously mm-hmm. or whatever. Oh, posthumous. Yeah. That's, I think that's it. So, I guess <clears throat> that's the way to do it if you want. I mean, I don't know if he meant for it to be released. Yeah. Prince, at least. He seemed, he was very, every everything in terms of how the music was released, he was very um, reserved about it. Yeah. He seemed very conservative about how the music was getting out there. So. I heard this interview where this, you know, Wendy Williams, mm-hmm. she's talking about, because she was good friends with him, and she's talking, to, you know, I saw the interview where she's talking about him, obviously. I didn't really watch the show, but I, I was kind of yeah. interested because she's kind of an interesting character to watch and hear her talk about certain personalities right and she was saying like every time that he would call you it wouldn't be him it would be one of his representatives or his assistants or whatever and they would always text you like he wants to see you tonight at certain time Mm -hmm. at certain place Mm -hmm. but it would never you would never you would just automatically know is prince he is prince and whenever they would contact you, you knew you had to be there. And she said that whenever she would uh, go to one of his after parties, which mm-hmm. is most of the most of the events he invited people to were after parties after one of his shows, that he would tell her, like, tell everybody where to sit. Like, you sit here, you sit there, you know, like, everybody had an assigned seating. He was really particular about who was going to sit with who because he thought that it would just make better or, like, livelier conversation or a better time. And it was just kind of like, if he's like that about sitting arrangements, (laughs) imagine how he is with his music arrangement, you know? So it's going to be really interesting to see how they're going to, pile that up into an or how they're going to pile all those songs songs into an album if they're not already in an album i guess right so but i also heard a lot of talk about his assistant or his producer um making music videos like full like fully paid for full you know um full uh what do you call it just like full-on music videos with like actors and stuff like that and like a like a full-on project yeah like a movie yeah a short movie or short film yeah and and then she's like thinking oh great you know we did this music video and it's gonna do really well and then he would just put it in the vault and he's like no i'm not gonna release it i just i'm gonna put it right here and like so i really can't wait to see those because apparently he's been doing that since 1984 so oh wow Interesting. So we'll see. Or he's had that vault since 1984. Yeah, I wonder what he was saving it for. (laughs) Who knows? I don't think he even knows. Maybe he just wanted to have it. He he was very into his faith, and I feel like he would always say, like, I'm just going to leave it out to God. This is all for God, you know, Mm -hmm. because he was, like, uh, Jehovah. Oh, Jehovah's Witness. And 
And, and one of the things Wendy was talking about was like no cursing. She's like, he hated when I curse. And she, he's like, well, don't curse, Wendy. You're too pretty to curse. Like, don't, you don't need to be cursing all the time. You know, like, why, why would you want to curse? You know? <laughs> so he was very, like, and I don't think people really, like, paid attention to that part of him. I mean, obviously, they paid attention to all the sexy parts of him and, like, obviously his, his great talent, but never his, like, um, he, you know, he wanted to study the Bible. His religious like, His religious aspect, yeah. Because I think, in a way, he, he wasn't hiding it, but in a way, he didn't really want to, you know, I don't know. Like, he, he, I think he had both separately Yet he thought he always thanked to God for his talents. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just interesting. He's an interesting character, I or did was. Not know that. Another <laughs> uh, news. I do have Radiohead in the news. Uh-huh. It just came out today, uh, fourteen hours ago. <laughs> so it says right here, uh, out of Pitchfork. Radiohead fans receive mysterious "Burn the Witch" leaflets. The band known. Know where you live, according to cards sent to the UK fans in the post. Oh my God, it's an actual leaflet. Um, Radiohead fans are on the lookout for signs of the band's forthcoming album, following the announcement of a world tour and speculation around their registration of two new companies, Down Chorus LLP and Down Chorus Limited. This morning, several UK fans received an eerie, mysterious update via post. Reports have emerged of leaflets reading, sign a song of sixpence that goes, burn the witch, we know where you live. With an embossed Radiohead logo, which is what I have tattooed on my left arm, uh, via Twitter and Reddit users who say they have previously made offers from the group, or I'm sorry, previously made orders from the group, Burn the Witch is the name of Radiohead's track thought to have originated around 2013. Three to 2005. Below you can hear two very brief snippets of the intro and check out the leaflets. Uh, Pitchfork has contacted the band's representatives for comment. You can read the 19 unreleased Radiohead songs that could be on their next album on the pitch. <clears throat> and then this is the leaflet they got. Mm-hmm. And it's just basically... Are they talking about me again? They're... <laughs> I guess what they're trying to say is like they're always they're big on Big Brother like they're big on like conspiracies and stuff like that which Big Brother in London is not like a CCTV yeah it's not I've been doing that for a long time right so they're just saying like we know where you live like this is for you Burns Witch you know (laughs) Uh, they're trying to scare some of their fans I think it's awesome I I wish I kind of you know, was there for, I would have gotten one of those in my mailbox, but, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've ordered anything through their website, though. I think I've tried ordering in Rainbow, not in Rainbows, uh, King of Limbs when it came out, and um, it was just, the site was down, because it, it was the release date, and everything, everybody was trying to get mm-hmm. their hands on, because, um, you know, when they, f- they first released something, they're like, oh, there's special ones that have like signatures or like a stain or you know like watermark i don't know and um the website was just down and i couldn't get through to buy my my little copy but um i did it was successful i was successful with in rainbows because it was free uh what year did that come out 2007 oh okay i can remember that yeah so that one was or choose your own 
price. Yeah, I remember when that came out. So obviously I was still in high school, so my price was zero, but uh, eventually I did buy it at um, uh, Virgin Mm -hmm. Records. Mm -hmm. Virgin, Virgin. yeah. Yeah, You were still around. Before they went out of business and became my Forever 21. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I bought it up here when I was visiting, because they were going out of business when I was visiting. And I was like, like, oh yeah, this is where I'm going to buy my shit. And I bought like... Back in the day. I think I bought Bjork's uh, Best of and the Smiths, the Best of the Smiths. And that that CD I burned to the ground. And... um, I also bought Sigurose, and I bought a bunch of Radiohead that I was missing. Oh, good times. Good times. Let's just say, going back to San Diego on the airplane with all that shit, they, I got stopped <laughs> by the security. <laughs> like, what you got in there? TSA. Yeah, they were really worried because of CD-ROMs, and they're like, what? who buys these anymore? Oh, right, because I had literally, 2007, yeah. I literally just started using an iPod. Yeah, I had not converted when it came out. Yeah. 2000, 2001. Yeah, I was totally against it, and then somebody gave theirs to me, and I was like, "What? Whatever." Yeah, <laughs> I like the portability, portability, portability. Oh my god, portability <laughs> mushrooms. Portability uh, of having the iPod. I did, I did like that because it's so tiny, and you could put it in your pocket, and that to me was attractive. But I could just never afford one. Yeah, they were pricey. But now nobody gives a shit. Now it's just there. Now it's like your phone, and I was so against the iPhone too. I was like, it's a phone, a camera, and an iPod all in one. What if what? it breaks and I'm left with nothing? You what know? What the hell? Yeah. But what the fuck? alas, here we I, are. Yeah, here we are. Codependency. Less than ten years later. <laughs> exactly. That was part of his evil plan. Burn the witch. <laughs> <laughs> we're burning slowly, if you think about it. Oh Lord, and we're witches <laughs> for every, sure. Every use. Yeah. Just get one step closer to death, people. That's what yeah. we're do. That's what we do here at Mutiny Radio. In case you're just tuning in. <laughs> we bring you down. Um, so, uh, Glastonbury, the Glastonbury Festival lineup was just announced. This is from TheEnemy.com. Glastonbury Festival has announced more acts for its sprawling 2016 lineup, which is being headlined by none other than Adele, Muse, and Coldplay. I would have never guessed those three. Um, after recently posting the acts for the Dance Village, Silver Haze, the festival has now shared who we can expect to see at the Common. The festival describes the Common, which is located in the southeast corner of the site, as an entire late-night world that embodies the true spirit of the festival. Ooh. Tribal temples and dark caves, incredible live music, ritualistic paint-throwing, tomato fights, a Celtic festival of the dead, and a jaw-dropping waterfall. That sounds where I want to be. Acts include a DJ set from the streets, Mike Skinner. I haven't heard of him in years. Poet Kate Tempest, sub-focus, and drum sound and bass line Smith. Yeah, I think they just posted this the other day. Somebody else I know is playing this festival. But, I mean, it's a pretty well-known festival, and they have some pretty... Uh, big names in attendance every year. So if you want to find out more, um, you can go to their official website, Glastonbury.com, and then as also the enemy always has lots of information about any upcoming festivals over there. Oh, 
The festival's other main headliners include Beck, Falls, LCD Sound System, Churches, James Blake, PJ Harvey, uh, ZZ Top, New Order, Disclosure, and Bring Me the Horizon, among many more. This will take place June 22nd through the 26th and is now completely sold out. So I guess it's kind of like their version of Coachella, I think, I'd say. Which festival is it? Glass- Glastonbury. Well, for sure, yeah. yeah. It's a big one. Mm-hmm. I have Tom DeLong in the news. If you didn't know, Tom DeLong is from, was a former member of uh, Blink-182, which I kind of rekindled my love for in the last few days. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have released some new shit like yesterday, so <clears throat> I haven't listened to it yet, so I'm not going to say anything. Uh, <laughs> Me neither. You're is saying. Tom DeLong for real about this UFO stuff? Motherboard investigates. It's not... Oh, my God. How long is this? It's not that long. Okay. <clears throat> um, well that's my place. It's not every motherboard interviews a rock star, but it's also not every day a rock star releases a 700-page opus about aliens and UFOs and deep government conspiracy going back to the 1940s. Tom DeLonge, the former guitarist and co-lead singer of Blink-182, has a new act. It's called Secret Machines, and it's a massive project that includes books, films, music about UFO phenomena. The first installment, a novel called Chasing Shadows, co-written with author A.G. Hartley, A.J. Hartley, came out in on 9, April 5th. It's a rockling page turner about a skeptical journalist who runs a UFO debunking website, a Holocaust survivor, and a Harris whose father's mis- whose father mysteriously dies, and a marine pilot who gets uh, read recruited in a secret government technology project at Area 51. Somehow, their stories all intersect. Um, But the book is in pure fiction. DeLong says it's based on real events and sourced from DeLong's own research. For as long as I can remember, I have sought answers, he wrote in the foreword. Uh, The rock star has a circle of 10 advisors helping him on this stuff, he says, and one of them is a high-level member of the Pentagon. Wow. <laughs> this Department of Defense advisor gave DeLong a go-ahead to take the story, the real story, to the masses on the condition that he introduced it bit by bit through fiction and nonfiction. DeLong has long been dipping in and out of the UFO conspiracy theory community. In 2011, he launched a website called Strange Times, which fizzled and has a, a, appeared multiple times on the cult hit paranormal talk show Coast to Coast. Oh, I've heard of that. We talked to DeLong about his beliefs, his project, and how Chasing Shadows came into his existence. We also dive into the weird and wonderful world of conspiracy theorists in the longest radio motherboard episode to date. Featuring Tom DeLong, motherboard editor, and chief Derek Mead, senior supervising, come back, producer, uh, Chris O'Coin, managing editor, Adrian Jeffries, and reporter, quiet. Jason Kovler <laughs> and paranormal uh, investigator, dark journalist. That's Big Brother telling you what to do through your fucking iPhone. <laughs> Fuck you, Steve Jobs. <laughs> Speaking of conspiracies. <laughs> For real. That's interesting, though. I didn't know that he completely just went off the. So what it seems radar. like is he's he's not only it's I mean. 
It's not really out of the radar because he is releasing, he's releasing a novel and he's releasing a movie. Okay, I mean, he went off the deep end. So yeah. No, that's it. Well, he's always believed in UFOs and there's a bunch of Lincoln 82 songs, mm-hmm. you know, that. Touching on that subject. Yeah. So, but it's just kind of like now he's like a little more serious where he actually has people who are like, quote unquote credible on in the area mm-hmm. with the government conspiracies and Pentagon and Area fifty one and all that. But I mean I mean, it sells. I'm not gonna lie. I I would probably read it because to me that's interesting. I mean I don't specific I don't believe it per se, but I think it's an interesting thing to read. Cause conspiracies, even if you're like now interesting to read it's an interesting read it's kind of like reading 1984 you know that was a good book yeah i enjoyed reading it i yeah. should read it again That's, i have um, it if you want to borrow it i think i have it too okay. and animal farm too i read that one. Oh, i need to read that one yeah that's interesting that one's i mean 1984 is pretty relevant but i feel like animal farm i'm starting to like i mean i can see it like yeah, in happening. our day-to-day lives you yeah. know but um I mean, and he wrote those books back after World War II, I think, right? Yeah. In the late 40s, early mm-hmm. 50s. And it's just interesting um, seeing how it how it plays out um, even decades later, you know? Yeah. How things are, are still relevant. But yeah, I, I mean, I believe in some of that stuff, too. I mean, some of it's kind of far-fetched and kind of outlandish. But then I think, you know, I know that ghosts exist, so there's got to be other life forms out there. Right. Maybe they're all ghosts. <laughs> Just space ghosts. They're all like, oh, I love that cartoon. <laughs> it inspired cartoon? in me. Yeah, space ghosts, coast to coast. Remember? No, I've never seen that. It was on... Car- there he is right there. Um... Is my voice coming through, by the yeah. way? Okay. I just thought it was like, maybe I'm hallucinating. I'm just talking into the microphone and nothing's coming out. No, but it was a cartoon. It either came out, I think it came out like in the 90s. It was on Cartoon Network. And he was like, he dressed like a superhero with a mask and he would interview famous people. You never saw it? I never saw it, but I think I've seen like, yeah, it's, it's probably on, on YouTube. It's, it's pretty funny. I mean, he would ask just like kind of outlandish questions. I can't think of one in particular, but I think he interviewed Jim Carrey at one point when it was like the height of his career, but it's Mask. weird. Yeah. I think yeah. it was around that time. And he was, I mean, it's Jim, it's Jim Carrey. He's talking to Jim Carrey, but he's a cartoon. It was like kind of a weird thing to see back then, but now it's probably, it's not that big of a it's deal. It's been done. Yeah. But I was like, oh, this guy's hilarious. Wow, I need to check that out. Yeah, space space ghost, coast to coast. That's what he called himself. That's catchy. He's just an uh, egotist, just like the rest of us. Makes sense. Yeah, you got to have you gotta have a story to tell. You got to have your ego. You got to have it somehow in your arsenal. Keep it going. How come there's all kinds of weird shit in here? Look at the microphone. Look at that. What happens here after hours? They love to turn off the second microphone because whoever was sitting in this chair doesn't deserve to have a voice. They're just like chewing on the the microphone cover. Just like hitting their face against the microphone. Yeah. But actually, it's every time I try and use it, it's always like, just just get rid of it. I don't want a second microphone. 
I only need one. Because they're loaders. They're probably here by themselves. And they're like, aw, screw this. And then those mics are like, just, I don't need to look at them. I don't need to leave them the way they are. I need to physically move them to the other side of the table so I don't have to even think about other people being in the studio with me. Yeah. It's like this weird, like, psychological shift that happens. They don't want to be reminded of how lonely they are. <laughs> Things can get, I can say this from experience, and maybe you can too, but it gets kind of lonely in here if it's just one person. It does. But it was kind of fun when I used to do it, and there was the cafe because then people would come in and kind of, there was Interact that, with you a little it, bit. Exactly. There was, there was that whole vibe, but, um, Nowadays, it's kind of a weird dynamic. There yeah. hasn't been a lot of things happening at 8 o'clock recently. I mean, um, rentals. No, there hasn't. I think a lot of the stuff goes down now at Fridays. Sh- on, on Fridays, She's yeah. been doing a lot of stuff on Fridays. And then um, she, do- she does a lot of appearances at different comedy places around San Francisco. So good for her. Good for you, Pam. Yeah, yay, Pam. <laughs> She's an amazing lady, and, um, you know, the station's still kind of floating along. We're still here, and we always have interesting stories to tell, I feel. Yeah. Maybe not. Being here. Maybe not that interesting. Super interesting. Yeah. It always sounds better after I listen to it. I'm like, oh, that sounds so awesome. It was so professional. And now we're like, ugh. <laughs> the weather is just kind of making us like. I know, it's making us so sleepy. Like like <laughs> I would definitely like enjoy like a popsicle right now. I'm sure you would. Just all melting and sugary coated and. Mm. <laughs> An orangesicle. Ooh, those are good with yeah. the, the with cream. The creamsicle. Creamsicle. Orange popsicle. Orange creamsicle. Yeah, what brand was there? Was it Dole? I don't know. I can't remember the one I used to Dole have. Dole makes pretty good uh, popsicles, though. Uh-huh. Dole banana. Dole pineapple. All right, we'll stop. <laughs> we're not getting paid by Dole, by <laughs> the way. Keep being Dole, weird. if you're hearing this, we're pitching an idea. We'll talk to you. Our people will talk to your people. <laughs> <laughs> you know where to find us. Yeah. Or maybe not. We're on Facebook. Um, Sounds from the street. Uh, that's our Facebook page. And then the Mutiny Radio page is going through some updates, I believe. But they kind of defaulted back to the original web page. But then they had the, the new one for a period of time. But it wasn't completely updated. Um, but anyways, mutinyradio.fm. That's our, that's our hubbub for now. <laughs> and yes, uh, I concur. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, we were kind of doing a semi-tribute to Prince last week, so I thought we would play. Um, there's a couple songs on um, this wonderful mix CD that I made um, not too long ago. Well, pretty long ago, like 2002, 2003. <laughs> but it really came in handy because I do not have any of his stuff on record or yeah so now i do (laughs) now i can safely say i do but anyway stay tuned for more mutiny radio
probably wondering, should I inject bleach into my eyeballs with a needle? Well, that's an excellent question. I'm so glad you asked. Statistics show that no. No, you should not inject bleach into your eyeball with a needle. Paid for by the committee to stop injecting bleach into the eyeballs with needles. The Ministry of Lava manages our national lava resources to ensure that we will always have a steady supply of lava to operate the nation's active volcanoes, which in turn power our cities and methamphetamine labs. As a matter of national security, we need to reduce our dependence on foreign lava, which means an expansion of domestic lava drilling. As your chancellor, I will build lava wells all over the country, as well as secure access to more lava fields by invading Hawaii. Imagine orange gold spurting out from school playgrounds on the Great Plains and illuminating the Nebraska sky like fireworks on the 4th of July. Magma oozing over the rolling hills of Kentucky. Volcanic ash settling gently over homes in New England like fresh gray snow. If you want global lava markets to continue to be dominated by terriblest regimes like Iceland, Chile, and the Philippines, vote for my opponent, who sits in their back pocket as comfortably as Pahoehoe on the slopes of Kilauea. If you want the United States to stay competitive in the era of peak lava and beyond, then take a chance on the Chancellor. Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead pests? Well, shit. From time to time, I didn't even thought of you. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two people paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things to you before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m.s at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! We are Unleash the Rain, and we're coming to you streaming live every Tuesday from 4 to 6 p.m. here at MutinyRadio.fm in the Mission in San Francisco. Because we need more rain in San Francisco. Yes, we're still in a drought here in California, but this is a business. If you're like me, you're probably wondering, should I inject bleach into my eyeballs with a needle? Well, that's an excellent question. I'm so glad you asked. Statistics show that no, no, you should not inject bleach into your eyeball with a needle. Paid for by the committee to stop injecting bleach into the eyeballs with needles. Okay, so it'll start.
start with his commercial and then we'll go straight to you guys. The Ministry of Lava manages our national lava resources to ensure that we will always have a steady okay. supply of lava to operate the nation's active volcanoes, which in turn power our cities and methamphetamine labs. As a matter of national security, we need to reduce our dependence on foreign lava, which means an expansion of domestic lava drilling. As your chancellor,